Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Well, I'm preparing for the message this morning. My daughter, Kaya, um, wanted to help me out with an illustration. So I've got four wonderful kids. Kaya is my youngest. But before she helps me out, I wanted to tell her just a little bit about what I love about her. One of the things I love most about Kaya is when we put her down at night, you'll, like, reach up and you'll grab me, and I will try to, like, leave, and you'll grip my neck, and you'll pull me back in. And when you go to bed, you actually don't go to bed wearing slippers. You actually go to bed wearing red suede stiletto high heels to bed just because they look good. I love it. Uh, I love that you have this incredible British accent that you can switch into at any time. I love how you rule the four square court. I love that when we play poker, you're always all in. Uh, Every hand. I love that at school that you take care of younger kids and you're always so compassionate for them. Um, I love that God gives you dreams and that you share those dreams and they have deep meaning. So there's, I could go on and on, but I just want to tell you that I love you, that your dad, that I'm going to do everything I can to provide for you, to protect you, and uh, to be to be a dad to you. So I love you, sweetie. I love you, too. Dad, I'm a great dad, handsome, strong, witty, and wise. You are so amazing. The head of the house, the big cheese, the big enchilada, El Jefe. There is something just, there's something special about the name Peter DeSoto. You should be famous. I hope everyone would know how great you are. Things would be so much better if all the kids listened to you and obeyed you. If you were in charge, everything would be great. Dad, a president. You you are so wise that I want to do whatever you ask me. Dishes done. Making my bed? You got it. Taking the dog? No problem. Uh, if I do what you say, things will be so much better for me. There is just one thing. I need some lunch money today. Not a lot, just enough to buy me some uh, nachos and a drink. I know you always take care of me. Yeah, and about last night, please forgive me for not get, getting off the iPad when you told me to and throwing that attitude. I'm really sorry about that. And for kicking my sister. That wasn't cool. I'll try to forgive her for losing one of my favorite shoes. I'm having some challenges at school, and I really... um need your, some of your advice. Give me some guidelines so I can stay out of trouble. Oh, and please get rid of the chunky monkey ice cream out of the freezer. It's really tempting. Love you so much, Dad. All right, I love you too, sweetie. So that gives you a picture of every night in our household. Um, I'm just kidding. It's a picture of a dad and a daughter and a real love for each other. I um, do the best I can to express my love for my kids. 
um, to tell them how much I love them. And I'm, I'm a pretty imperfect guy. I've got lots of faults and have made tons of mistakes as a dad. But I express uh, my love for them. And in response, there is response that comes to me. Maybe not as wonderfully as she articulated. But um, this is a picture between a loving parent and a child. It's also the picture that Jesus gives us of prayer, of how we can talk to a God who is not distant, who is not far, but who is loving and who adores us as his kids. Oftentimes, our prayer lives, unfortunately, consist of a litany of requests that we make to a God that feels more distant than close, where we offer up kind of ambiguous requests or very specific things we think we need, we want, not knowing if it's going to be answered or not. We're in this series called Irresistible, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in this message, has been describing a different way to live. He's been describing a way where we don't have to live bound by anxiety, but can live in rest. That we don't have to be filled with anger, but can live in peace. We don't have to be bound by materialism, but actually can be generous. That we don't have to be scared for today, but can store up treasures for heaven. That we can live a different life today in the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because as he goes through this sermon, it's as if he stops and discusses prayer. And he talks about the importance of talking to the Heavenly Father. And it gives us a framework, a a brand new framework at the time on how to conversate with a loving God as response. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to the famous Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As Jesus instructs us in prayer, he continues in the format of some of the earlier teachings 
Or before he tells us what to do, he tells us what not to do. As if he's saying, don't do this. Focus on stopping the behavior that is keeping you bound. And it's interesting because he points to the Pharisees. He points to the men that were in charge of the religious establishment. And he uses them as examples on what not to do. What's interesting about this is that although today the word Pharisee has a pretty negative connotation, back then it didn't. Back then the Pharisees were the leaders. They were the ones leading the Jewish community. In fact, they had taken prayer to a new level. And prayer, to some degree, was very beautiful in the way that it was done. They would lead their community to pray three times a day. They would teach their kids how to pray up to 18 different prayers. They would pray in almost every different occasion. The value of their prayer was high. And in many ways, it was good. Today, so often we don't have prayer interwoven into our lives. So before we judge the Pharisees too quickly, we need to understand that they were the ones that people looked to to pray. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been to a dinner or a potluck, and you're there, and it's a Christian functions function, who do they look for to pray? The pastor, right? Like, hey, who is the pastor? Can you pray over the food? They do the same thing with the Pharisees. There's a dinner. They wanted that guy to pray. But for some reason, Jesus used them as the example on what not to do. And he gave two specific points. The first, he said, don't be a hypocrite. What did he mean? I think what he meant was that he didn't want us to pray for what we want without living the way that God wants. He didn't want us to pray for what we want without living the way that God wants. See, the Pharisees, they would go out in the street corners and they would pray these, these beautiful prayers. And people would look at them as the example, knowing that if God was listening to anybody... He was listening to them. Sadly, over the years, they stopped looking at their own lives. They were filled with pride, filled with contempt, and that they were literally leading the people astray. I'm very blessed that I don't feel like in the Garden Church there's a lot of religious pretension. But I don't want to let us off the hook too quickly. How often do you pray for what you want without looking in the mirror? How often do you start to just go through your list without first asking the question, have I responded to what God's already said? Don't be a hypocrite. Secondly, Jesus said, don't manipulate with long prayers or lofty words. It's not about getting the words right. It's not about an incantation. I grew up a pastor's kid. And we would have... You know, potlucks and dinners. I always knew that two or three people that I did not want to pray over the food. Because they would pray forever and the food would be cold by the time they were done. 
And I would think to myself, you know, God is good with, thank you, Jesus, for the food. That would be good. He gets it. Let's eat, right? So if you hear me pray for food, that's how I try to pray for the food. I just thank God for it. I think sometimes we get in this childish state in prayer of badgering God or feeling like if we can get it down right and say the right things, He'll respond to us. Like I said, I've got four kids, and when they were young, man, sometimes they would ask for the same thing over and over and over and over. I wasn't liking it the further they went. It actually began to annoy me, and I just wonder if this is what Jesus had in mind. He said, don't manipulate. I got it. It's great that Jesus starts with what not to do. But then he gives us this beautiful model. And my heart for us this morning is I really feel like a lot of us struggle with prayer. I feel that even in our wonderful community, that if I was to go around and ask about your daily prayer life, that I would get a myriad of responses. That there'd be some that was powerful, but that there'd be a, a big portion of them where it would be, well, I kind of do this. Sometimes I do this. I kind of pray at dinner. I kind of pray then. I go through seasons without prayer. And Jesus, in talking about how we can live a different way, puts prayer at the center of this message to say, if you want to live an irresistible life, you need to learn to talk to your dad. You need to learn to have this conversation. And it's not ambiguous that it's very clear let me give you the framework so he he starts with a framework I think most of us pray some way this way my daughter Kaya who she was up here we like to play poker as a family very spiritual family Um, (laughs) Texas Hold'em is our favorite and so a couple months back we were playing, and Kayak got on a roll. So she's still yet to figure out what the cards mean, but she started betting, and and as she started to get the cards that were dealt, she would get a hand, and you could tell that she got a good hand, because she literally would go, Thank you, Jesus! And so, and then she would bet, and she would win. But then, as the game kept going, she began to lose. And finally, she lost all of her chips. By the time she lost all of her chips, the prayer had changed to, Where are you, Jesus? And I think our prayer life sometimes is that way. If we're dealt good cards in life, if we pray, Jesus, give me good cards, and they come, man, we're happy. God's moving in my prayer life. Look at all the fruit. Thank you, Jesus. But then some struggles happen. Things go awry. Our cards are not that great. And we start doubting. Start questioning. Where are you, Jesus? I've been praying. Where are you? And Jesus gives us this framework of a loving Father. And these are the first two words He gives us. Our Father. 
reason why that's so important is because he starts with creating a framework that's based in relationship and identity. First, his relationship. The time that Jesus gave his prayer, the Romans had an idea of God's gods as being aloof, being detached, even being um, against humanity. You were to fear gods. So prayer was about appeasing the gods. To the Israelites, prayer had become kind of rote, had become a ritual. The feeling was, we've been praying for 400 years and we're still enslaved. We'll keep praying, but there's not any real power in it. Is God even around? And here Jesus takes this person of God, who the Jews at the time would not even call him Father. That would be almost blasphemous. They called him Yahweh, which was appropriate because of the greatness of God. And Jesus establishes as Father. He's not moody. He's not distant. He's Dad. Picture of this, some of you, few of you, maybe a couple of you are old enough to remember, a president named JFK. JFK, there was a picture in his office. Here's the most powerful man in the world who could have waged war. And people had to call him Mr. President. Everyone recognized the power that he held. But there was a picture of John Jr., Ever seen that picture underneath his desk playing with a little toy truck to everybody else in the world JFK was president but to John Jr. he was dad this picture although imperfect that we have with our Heavenly Father he is at the same time so powerful all powerful but also so close and so near. But I also like that how Jesus starts this off. He doesn't say, my daddy, my God. I want you to imagine, I brought up Kaya, but I have four wonderful kids. If Kaya began to feel like it was my daddy, I'm special, what would that do within our family? It would cause hurt. It would cause pain. Jesus starts with our Father. So unique because He had the direct relationship as Son. Father and Son. But then through extension, He gives it to us. We get to then call God Father because of Jesus. We get to be John Jr. in the office of JFK. Jesus shares this relationship with us. This is so powerful because prayer really can't begin until we understand our relationship to God as Father and our identity as His kids. When I was preparing for this, sharing it with some people, someone said, so you're going to open up all the daddy wounds, are you? I said, yeah, I think I have to. Because so many of us, when I say father or I say mother, we don't have a pretty picture. That the thought of approaching God as a parent doesn't have a good background. 
And so it's hard for us to have the picture that I shared with Kaya. That's the way it was with my dad when he grew up. See, my dad never knew his dad. So he had to kind of wrestle through what this was like. By the grace of God, my dad was saved at a young age. And there was struggles with my family growing up. Father, son. But the amazing thing was watching my dad over the years become more like the Heavenly Father. And have that restored. It's from that experience that I feel that I'm able to even have a chance at loving my daughter in the way that God loves us. If you're here this morning and you can't approach God as father or or as mother, as parent, He wants to heal you of that today. He doesn't want you to live one more day scared of Him or feeling like He's aloof or afar. He wants to know you. He wants you to experience Him close and and very near. I would propose that you won't be able to move on in your prayer life very much if you cannot experience God as your Heavenly Father. Because if you do, you can move on to the next stage. And the next prayer is, In heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This guy is saying to me, you should be famous, dad for president, right? Man, God, your name is amazing. You are so awesome. Hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed, holy, had two meanings, one in Greek, one in Hebrew. The Greek was holy, separate, apart. That we don't worship a God that is natural, but supernatural, full of power. That you can trust that when you come before God, He's it. There's no king higher than Him. There's no power greater than Him. He was hallowed. He's holy. But the Hebrew talked about character. Talked about nature. David said it this way in Psalms 9 and 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Knowing the name of God, knowing who your Father is, empowers you to let go. Because the next part of this passage, I think, is the crux of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you come into the relationship as father and child, you lift up the name that is above all names. The question then becomes, my will or his? And in the face of a loving dad who has everything at his disposal, the only appropriate response is, your will be done. Not mine, but yours. I surrender to you. You will take care of everything. See, the freedom that you seek in your life will not come because you get your will done. That's tyranny. Life is tyranny. 
if you try to continually get your will. Because it will never happen. And if it does happen, you don't know what you need. God does. You may have inklings on what you want. But God knows what you need. He's the Heavenly Father. And then, get to this idea of daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Majority of the world lives on daily subsistence. They earn a modest wage or a horrible wage, dollar or two a day in Haiti. So people at that stage, their prayer is, get me through today. So many of us have have lived in so much abundance we don't even recognize. Do you realize that in the United States, I think it's $175 billion is wasted of wasted food. 40% of what we spend on food is wasted every year. So much so that it could feed 25 million people in the States alone. 1,200 calories is wasted per capita in the U.S. We've already got so much. But yet, we're scared. Lord, please help. But have you ever been at your wit's end? Have you ever looked at your bank account and there's nothing but red? Have you finally ever gotten to the place where you go, God, just help me today? Have you ever done that and God not show up? When we get to a place where we're not concerned about tomorrow, we're not trying to build a storehouse, we're not asking for a million dollars so we don't have to ever trust Him again, but we come to a place where daily we set our heart in a tone with a Heavenly Father that does nothing more than want to provide for His kid. A nachos and a drink. I'll always give my kids money for a nachos and a drink. Don't hold me that, Pigeon Isaac. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. To forgive is about humility, compassion, and love. There are multiple words for sin, and this one that is used is debt. The inability to pay back that which is given to you. Have you ever considered how much God has done for you? Have you ever considered what it looks like? The best picture really is Samuel that that Darren talked about on that card. It was found literally wrapped up in a trash bag. But today is going through the process to land in the house of a parent. Do you think that child will ever know all the parents did to adopt them? Can never repay. In our sin, in our in our selfishness, in our fear, in our anguish, we will walk out literally of a loving father who takes us, wants us daily to sit, and just wants to do this to us. I gotcha. See this world, we're looking at it together. Right? We got this. Gave some daily bread. And we go, 
Yeah, I'm not really wanting to do that. I can take care of it. I'm just going to walk away. He's still there. What this prayer is, is coming back. Saying, ah, forgive me. But see, what's interesting about forgiveness is that it directly impacts how we treat others. Because if you're going to experience forgiveness, you can't experience forgiveness from a loving father and go in the other room and beat the tar out of your brother or sister. It just doesn't work. Jesus is not manipulating by saying, well, if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying forgiveness is indivisible. You can't experience true forgiveness in your heart and hold on to bitterness or hurt or pain towards other people. It can't physically happen. That forgiveness is experienced with God and with others. So he invites us into this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Free me, cleanse me. Let me walk without holding a grudge. That thing my wife said, that thing I said, that thing my husband said, that thing my boss said, I can let it go every day. I can walk free from hurt and pain. Why? Because you've forgiven me, Father. Thank you so much. And lastly, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Deliver us. It's about protection and awareness. That word tempting, really, it's best described as testing. Because God does not tempt. But it's a prayer that recognizes that as you come in the relationship with Heavenly Father, this side of eternity, it will be tested. You'll walk out of that secret place and you'll go to school and you'll be tested by your peers. You go to work and someone will say something and you are going to want to shoot back. You're going to have a friend that irritates you and you're going to want to gossip. There's going to be an addiction that's bound you, that's going to pull you back. And that prayer recognizes this saying, I know it will be tested, but God, please don't let me be tested to the point of failure. And then deliver me from the evil one. This is the prayer of awareness. If we're to have irresistible lives, if we're to live without anger, without anxiety, without lust, without materialism, without all the things that Jesus talks about, we have to recognize that we have an enemy, an adversary, who makes it his very objective to pull you back into those same chains. And he's out there waiting. I've experienced this the last few weeks. I went to El Salvador a few, couple, about a month ago. Spent some time away and God did some beautiful things in my heart. 
came back and it was just, gosh, some great time with him. And I literally almost daily have been hit with these trials to the point where the coincidences just are ridiculous. The pipes break. Someone steals my checkbook. Fraud starts happening. They stole my golf clubs. (laughs) Trials. And man, you don't know how hard it is not to respond out of anger, out of frustration, to go back in the old place that God had just taken me from. Because there's an enemy. And I don't understand how it all works. I don't know if he picked up my golf clubs or inspired the guy to do it. But I do know this, that when it happened... He was right there talking, accusing, telling me what was going on, giving me a narrative. See, you get close to God, blank happens. And then I've got to come back to this prayer. Deliver me from the evil one. Give me awareness of the lies that are coming at me so that I can be sitting in the seat right next to my dad. Because what he says is good. What he says is filled with love. But i got to do this daily. Got to do this daily. This is the framework. And we have a wonderful, wonderful model for prayer ministry. You come down and receive prayer. There's a ministry model for prayer. And this complements what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, though, here is personal prayer, daily prayer, going before your father daily. As I've been studying this passage the last couple of weeks, just the last few days, I started to wake up and it's just going through me. Our father in heaven, how would be that name? As I wake up and as I go to bed and you know what? It starts to do something in you. It's the framework for your attitude for the day. It defines how you experience your circumstances. This prayer is not a magical prayer. It's the framework of the relationship between you and your Heavenly Father. See, once the framework is established, it gets really fun. Because Jesus establishes this framework... Not so that we just sit in a defensive posture with an enemy that just wants to keep clubbing us. We as Christians are to be offensive. We are to take back ground from the enemy. We are to go into places that are bound and free people through the Holy Spirit. If we stay on the defensive, we'll get the beat out of us. But Jesus then starts talking about asking. So quickly we get to asking and it doesn't have any power. Because the asking is, God, please help my bum knee. God, please help my checking account. God, please help this. Or there might be some things that you're calling your heart out to. And God wants you to bring them to him. But he wants you in the framework and the safety 
of that relationship. So that you understand if you're in a trial, as much as it's hard to understand this, that it might be exactly what you need to be going through. I don't get that. But it's true. His own son, about ready to go on the cross, prayed this prayer. Thy will be done, not mine. Jesus modeled this. Because then he talks about seeking. I had about, what, a year ago, year and a half ago, <clears throat> Kaya. I want to use Kaya through this entire message. Um, she uh, started to make some requests. So she asked for a dog. She wanted a dog. And so she started with kind of the basic request. I want a dog. No, you're not going to have a dog. Okay. So I was done. I thought it was over. <laughs> a little smarter. Dad, I think it would be really great for our family to have a dog. Dad, I think I'd learn a lot more responsibility if we had a dog. And then guy began to ask over and over and in different ways. And I started listening more and more. Opened up the conversation. The kicker was the, the uh, what are they called? The persuasive essays that she wrote her two elementary school teachers over the course of two years. And the teachers contacted us on these amazing essays on how Kaya wanted a dog. <laughs> As she kept asking within the framework of my love for her, I listened. Is that right? Is that good? Does it, how does it impact our entire family? I'm looking at the bigger picture, again, as an imperfect dad. But I want that for my child. I want to start that conversation. See, prayer seeking, asking is about starting the conversation with dad and you guys can talk. It's an invitation to talk about values. So if you ask, man, I want that new Tesla. And God goes, okay, why? Right? What's in your heart? It's okay to bring the request, but let's talk about it. Right? So I ended up, I was at a dentist on the root canal. This, I just finished the story. It doesn't really relate. But uh, I'm in the root and getting my root canal done. And it's, it's, you know, it's really bad. So there's a lot of gas and laughing gas and all the stuff that they do. And, then, you know, you kind of go to that happy place um, on the ta table. And it was the day before my um, guy's birthday. And so I'm kind of like thinking and it hits me. What are you going to get for Kaya? A dog. And so I kind of wake up. I'm groggy. I call my wife. We're going to get a dog. <laughs> Dara's like, what are you on? <laughs> so we go down. We get the dog. And it's great. Um, but it's a picture, imperfect as it is, of a dad who just loves his kids. You know, Jesus says it this way. In Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. I love how he says it three different ways to make sure we don't miss it. For everyone who asks, receives. Anyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, 
it'll be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I think Jesus made this second on purpose, very intentionally. If we start with our prayer life, with asking, seeking, trying to find, without first understanding our relationship to God as Father and Son, without our identity established, without glorifying Him and recognizing we want His will first, without trusting Him for our daily bread, without being washed of forgiveness, without coming into awareness of our own sin nature and the protection that we need from the evil one. How do we even know what to ask for? We'll just start asking the things based on what we see rather than trusting God that sees all will give us good things. And I would suggest that there's just in closing just a couple things to ask for. Stop asking to escape or simply change your circumstance. Start, stop trying to get God to simply do things for you. Instead, start coming before Him as a child that wants restoration in your own life. Rather than trying to change circumstances, although He would listen to that prayer, you're free to pray whatever. He'll listen. But along with that prayer, God, take that circumstance to heal me, to restore me. I want peace. I want joy. I want patience. I want to be the type of person that can follow you. What dad would not say that? My child, as an imperfect father, came to me and asked me, Hey, dad, can you give me some peace, some joy? Throwing a little patience there? Right? I'd probably test him. I'd probably give him some tests. Right? So he would learn it. Be ready for that. But know the fruit that can come. You can also pray, and this is the kingdom side. Jesus, when we pray this, I can picture him, the disciples that he called, kind of give him a wink. Come on, let's go. Let's go have some fun. Let's go, let's go invade. Let's go take back. Let's go to the lost and reach them. Start praying for the lost. My mom prayed for her parents for 50 years. And in 1993, they came to know the Lord. I watched her growing up, praying diligently, aching for her parents to come to know God. And Jesus answered. Man, you want to start seeing God move around you? Start praying for the lost. And then pray for the broken and the hurting. And here's what's going to happen. The second you start praying for the broken and the hurting, God goes, great! Now i got some stuff for you to do. I think sometimes we don't pray in this way because we don't want God to respond. Because if He responds, we're going to have to do something. If you pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. God's got, man, I got a lot. Which one do you want? 
Because I can get you going. Let's do this together. And man, that prayer life is powerful. You want to be around the few. Gosh, I wish it was the majority. Powerful prayer people. You recognize a couple of things. They usually have a daily secret prayer place that they go to. They usually know their father. They usually trust him with everything. And then they've got an action item list. They're praying over people's lives. They're interceding. They're seeking. They're asking. They're knocking. My heart for for you this morning is I realize that a lot of us can't get past those first two words, our Father. And I want to pray that today that God starts you on a journey for that to be restored. There's also a group of you who are stuck on that daily bread piece because you're going through some financial issues. You're going through some hardship or you're going through sickness or you're going through something and it's so far above you. And so when I say daily bread, it's really tough because you're, you're strained. And then last, some of you, this has been in some ways the rhythm of your heart. And God's saying, come on, seek me more. Ask more. I've got more. Let's do more together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you did not leave into question how we are to approach you. You modeled it. You, that word incarnation, you made flesh. That spirit so that we could follow it in a real way. That picture of father and child is so real because we all experience it. It's universal. And you redeem it so that we can have a true picture of what it's like to be your kid. So, Lord, I just pray for our community. In the next few minutes, I pray that you would do some healing, that you would do some calling, that you would do some providing, and that we would experience you as dad today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.